All right, you need to grab a Bible and open to the book of 1 Peter. We are continuing here. We got this week and next week, and then when we're done with that, we're going to move into Genesis and finish out Genesis with the, the account of Joseph's life. We'll be focusing on Joseph in, in uh, the last of Genesis as, as we wrap up the spring. And so, uh, but for the next two weeks, we're continuing in 1 Peter. Doug mentioned the Essentials Beliefs class, but I'm really excited about this. Six weeks, 5.30, starting next week. We'd love to know you're coming. And you might be tempted to think, well, you know, I've been a believer for, you know, some time. I don't need the basic stuff. I've got that. Uh, this class will go beyond basics. So if you're thinking, well, I don't really know much about the Christian faith, this would be great because we will introduce you to some, some basic topics and, and help you put things together. And if you're thinking, well, I'd really like to go deeper than that, we will dive deep in this class as well. So it's to call it 101 class is not really accurate. Um, and it's going to be some meat, and we're going to digest it and chew it together. And uh, I'll, I'm very much looking forward to it. So if you uh, haven't yet looked at your calendar, please do that, 5.30 starting next week. All right. First Peter chapter 5. I had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. a few years ago with my oldest two kids. Uh, when we were in Washington, D.C., one of the things we went to is to see the Ford Theater where Lincoln was assassinated. Right across the street from the Ford Theater is, is uh, the Ford Theater Museum, which is dedicated to Lincoln. And uh, you can walk in there. That's actually where they took Lincoln after he was shot. It's where he died, right in this house. You can walk in the house. You can see the actual bed that Abraham, in which Abraham Lincoln died. It's, uh, it's a very impressive. And then right next door, they've built this museum to Abraham Lincoln. And one of the most startling things when you walk in about this museum is seeing a stack of books that they have erected in the museum. It's three stories tall. There are 15,000 books in this stack. And these are all the books that up, up to the time this monument was made that had been written on the life of Abraham Lincoln. There has been a lot penned on the man, Abraham Lincoln. And I was looking at that and I thought about one of my favorite books on leadership is actually this book right here called Lincoln on Leadership by Don Phillips. Uh, it's a fantastic book because uh, Abraham Lincoln seemed to break all the rules of leadership, uh, and yet he was an incredible leader. And so this is, a, this is a fascinating book. But as I was thinking about this stack of books and this book in particular, it got me thinking about leadership. If we were to take not just the books on Abraham Lincoln, but if we were to take all the books that have been penned on leadership, the stack of books would dwarf this three-story, 15,000-volume stack. There has been so much written on leadership. And if you imagine this stack of books that would seemingly rise endlessly to the sky as we put them all together, if we were to imagine this kind of stack just on books on leadership, standing right next to that stack would be these tiny, this tiny little piece of paper with these four verses from 1 Peter chapter 5, speaking timelessly about leadership. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. 
not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. These four verses have stood the test of time. They've been read, they've been parsed, they've been prayed over, they've been applied for 2,000 years, and they offer somewhat of a strange take on leadership. And it's fitting because everything Peter has said thus far in the book has been strange because we're strangers living in a strange land. I've reminded you every week that the title of this message series comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, 1, the very first verse. And it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world. You see, this world is, is not our home. We're citizens of God's kingdom, and, and uh, as a result, we are strangers in this land. Uh, I love the biblical word. That word strangers means sojourners. We're journeying. We're traveling. As strangers in, in a strange land, we are participating in citizens of God's kingdom, which God is working to inject into this world. And so we're agents of something really positive and really wonderful, and we're sojourners. We're citizens of another land. And so for four chapters, Peter has been methodically telling the church over and over how to live strangely, how to live as strangers in a strange land. He says things like, be holy, like be self-controlled, place yourself in submission to others, find honor in suffering. These are strange words. But just, Jesus, just like Jesus flips this picture of leadership on its head, Peter picks up where Jesus left off and continues it, continues this model of flipping leadership on its head. So now he's going to do this with leadership, and, and really he starts right away in verse 1 of, of 1 Peter 5. He says, to the elders among you, I have appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness. Now, some of you might say today, okay, Dave, this is great. We're talking about strange leaders. I'm not a leader in the church. You might be tempted to say, I'm not an elder at Waukee Community Church. And so why does this matter to me? And right from the get-go, let me tell you four reasons why you really need to listen and digest this passage today. The first reason is because our elders are your elders. Aaron Savage, Doug McCone, Jeff Johannesson, and myself are your elders. The calling to eldership is high, and as part of the body, you all affirm the leadership of these individuals. And so you need to know what they're called to. The second reason that you need to listen is that because these principles about leadership apply to all leaders. So whether you're a leader in, in, on the elder board at Waukee Community Church, or, or whether you're a leader as a deacon or a servant owner, whether you're a leader of a small group, whether you're a leader of, of, of a men's group or a women's group, whether you're a leader in children's ministry or student ministry, wherever you're a leader at in the church, these things also apply to you. Um, but, but more than that, they apply to you even outside the church, whether you're a leader in, in work or in your home. Wherever you're a leader, these verses can be applied to you as well. So the third reason that you should listen is because some of you aspire to eldership, and we need more leaders to accomplish what God wants us to do. And then the last reason you need to listen to this is because even if you never want to be a leader— 
Maybe you're sitting here saying, Dave, I am not a leader. I don't have a desire to be a leader. I would be okay if I never led anything ever in my life. And if that's you, you need to listen to this because what Peter is going to tell us is that our leaders serve as examples. So we need to pay attention to what our leaders are supposed to do so we can roll, they can be our models, so we can exemplify it. So really, there's something to be gleaned by everybody in this passage. And so hang in here with me today, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a leader. Biblical leaders think like shepherds. That's what Peter is telling us. Biblical leaders think like shepherds. Now, to understand what shepherding is, we need to take a journey back a couple thousand years um, because it's the, really the first thing that strange thing that Peter says about uh, leaders. When we typically think of leaders in our world, we think of business leaders like, like Steve Jobs who grabbed Apple back uh, after being ousted. He came back and he took over and he made it into this mega company, you know? And we think of business leaders or we think about political leaders like Abraham Lincoln, or I just recently watched a documentary on John Adams, and we think of leadership in the political sphere, or we think of uh, military leaders, strategic minds marching towards victory, General Eisenhower, or, or one of the more famous military generals. We think about leadership in these terms, but what Peter is going to tell us is that rather than thinking about uh, business leaders or political leaders or military leaders, he's thinking about shepherd leaders. Peter says our leaders in the church are to act like shepherds. Now, here's why this is weird. In the ancient Near East, shepherds were not well respected at all. Shepherding was a very low occupation. It was not something someone sought after. No one said, I want to grow up and be a shepherd. I'm going to go to college so I can be a shepherd. Nobody thought like that. No one aspired to being a shepherd. Uh, it was low. It was in obscurity. Shepherds worked out in the fields. No one really knew they existed. It was gross work. Sheep are dirty and disgusting. They're animals. You got to do a lot of gross stuff with sheep. No one wanted to be a shepherd. But God, in his wisdom, found a perfect analogy for leadership in the shepherd. Because God says he's the great shepherd over his nation, his people Israel. And there's this love between a shepherd and his sheep that God grabbed onto. And he says, I'm going to lead. This is how I lead with this great love. And God protects and corrects and rescues and heals and cares for his people just like a shepherd cares for his sheep. And so the key point is a shepherd, a shepherd stays out here. And you need to understand a shepherd stays out in front of his sheep. A rancher stays behind the cattle and drives them forward. A shepherd stays in front and leads. He calls them to himself. And this is the picture that God gives of himself. And God says this is how leaders should lead, like shepherds, out in front, gently beckoning people to follow, not driving with a whip from behind. And so God picked this illustration of himself, and now Peter extends this illustration to leaders in the church. Look at what verse 2 says. Let me read it again. To the leaders, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. He extends it to him. He says, be shepherds to those. 
It's, this is a command to leaders. Peter is telling leaders how to lead. Be a shepherd. It's a responsibility. A shepherd is responsible for all the sheep in his care. So shepherds are responsible, spiritual shepherds are responsible for the spiritual lives of the people in their care. Just like a shepherd would go through his flock and have a responsibility for every single sheep, a shepherd would know the sheep. He would know each one. He would count them. He would know when a a sheep was missing. Jesus tells great parables about the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go looking for the one lost missing sheep. A shepherd knows. He knows it. And so a good spiritual leader knows his flock. And so he, Peter extends this. There is a, a spiritual responsibility here for leaders. I remember 11 and a half years ago when I came to Waukee Community Church, I, I'd been a pastor for a number of years in an associate role and other roles. But there was a, this moment, I'll never forget it, when I, when I joined this small group of people up here in Waukee, and uh, I remember sitting in my, my very first office, which was on the Waukee Triangle in the basement of a bank, like down in this dark little place, and, and, uh, and that was my office. And I remember sitting there, like my first week in office, got all my books set up, got my computer <laughs> set up, and it's like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> and I remember sitting there praying for this flock, and it hit me. It just hit me that all of a the sudden there was a spiritual responsibility that I had for this church. I have to answer for God, to God for these people. And it's, a, it's this weighty responsibility. A shepherd has a weighty responsibility. And so you need to understand that this is why your elders take their job seriously. It's why our elders talk about you. Because we care about what's going on in your lives. We pray for you because we want God's spirit to do amazing kingdom things through you. We encourage you because we want you to be more like Christ. We admonish you because there are times in your life, in my life, where we need a course correction. And we want to walk beside you through that. Not in a mean-spirited way, but in a, in, as we're charged with a sacred responsibility. Our elders don't scream at you. They walk with you. They gently lead us because they understand there's a sacred responsibility to act like a shepherd. So all leaders can learn to think like a shepherd and remembering that leadership is a responsibility. It's a gift from the Lord. And remembering this, remembering that God has entrusted you as whatever leadership role you are in, God has entrusted you with the people whom you are leading place that sacred responsibility. And he says, lead like a shepherd. Um, it's a sacred responsibility. Uh, recently, we went on, on vacation. I've been talking about it for the past few weeks. And uh, when we did that, we took, our, we, we took our oldest four on a trip and we left our youngest two, Malachi and Olivia, who are four and six. We left them with my brother and my sister-in-law. And, uh, and we went off and, and enjoyed our older four kids and, and this trip together. And I remember uh, getting ready for, to go. And uh, I, Clarissa and I signed a document that so my brother and sister-in-law could take care of, you know, the kids. And if something would happen, they could take them to the doctor. And, and we signed this all over this. And there was this moment. I remember when, when we left and, and we left Malachi and Olivia back with them. Like, like I'm really trusting him Marcus and Shannon, with this great responsibility. These are my kids. 
and I'm trusting them to them. It's a sacred responsibility. I got it. And he got it. And we came back and Kai and Levy did awesome and it was great. But there was that moment, I'm trusting. And I think what sometimes we don't understand as leaders is we forget that God entrusts people to us just like that. The other thing that we need to remember then in thinking like a shepherd is not only do we have to remember that people are a gift and that there's a sacred responsibility, but we also have to remember that we're not alone. We're not alone in this. Um, if you think about ministry from Peter's perspective, what he wants the leaders of these churches to know is they're not alone. Look at verse 1. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal, how? As a fellow elder, as also as a witness. I was a witness too, he says, of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. In other words, Peter's saying, listen, I'm talking to you as one who gets it and you're not alone. Biblical leaders need to think like shepherds. So now the question is, how do we do this? How do we lead like shepherds? How do the elders of Waukee Community Church lead like shepherds? How do our small group leaders, our, our life group leaders, our life transformation group leaders lead? How do our children's ministry leaders lead? How do our student ministry leaders lead? How do you lead in your jobs or in, in, your, in your neighborhoods? How do you lead? And Peter's going to tell us four ways to lead like a shepherd. Four ways that you and I can lead like shepherds. And the first way is to lead from joy. How do we lead like a shepherd? We lead from joy. Verse 2 says this, Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. It's important to note here that Peter is going to use grammatical structure. I know some of you English people will geek out at this and some of you who hate English will not, but he's going to use a grammatical structure to make his argument. He's going to say, not this way, but this way. The next three things he's going to tell us, not this way, do it this way. And you can see this right through the text. It forms the, the basis of his argument. Not because you must, but because you're willing a shepherd leads from joy, not obligation. Have you ever had a boss in your life at any time that you listened and you watched that boss at work and you realized that that boss was stuck in his or her job? Have you ever had a boss like that? Like they were just doing their time. Maybe she'd pursued her career and realized somewhere along the way she hated this line of work. Or maybe he just stopped caring. Maybe she did it for a paycheck and was just like, I'm just in here for a check. I don't care about this job. You know, maybe your boss, he was just waiting to get transferred to the next thing. Have you ever had a, a boss that just was miserable and was doing it out of obligation? That makes everyone's life miserable, doesn't it? Because everybody in your whole department understands that your boss hates it there and everybody's miserable. And what Paul is saying here is biblical leaders have to do a heart check. God is not forcing you into leadership. He is calling you and it should be a joy. Let's be honest. Sometimes leadership is a burden. Let's just be honest about it. It's a burden and sometimes it's not a joy. But we have to find the joy, not the obligation in leadership. And also we have to be honest that uh, for those of us who aren't leading in any particular time, it's our obligation to make a leader's job a joy. 
you have an obligation to your leaders to make that job a joy. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, one of the verses that we very seldom quote in the church as leaders, because people get mad at when we do, but, but the writer of Hebrews says this to the church, obey your leaders and submit to their authority for they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Now listen to this last part. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. You and I can make the job of leaders in the church and anywhere in our life, you can make that a joy. Biblical leaders lead from joy and the greatest leaders have found a deep contentedness in leading. I remember when I was uh, at TED's Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, working on my master's degree, Master of Divinity. And I remember one time I was in class, a pastoral class, and uh, the professor got up there. I was almost done. I was in my last year, the third year. I was almost done with this program. And he said to the class, he said this, pastoral ministry is a high calling. And it's a weighty calling. He said, if you can do anything else, do it. I remember stopping and thinking, whoa, this is a gut check for me. Like, Because it's going to be hard, he said. And you have to find joy in this. There is a joy in a calling. We have to find joy as leaders because we understand that this is how a shepherd leads, with joy. And sometimes as leaders, we have to lead in joy even when we don't like it, even when we're stuck. It was hilarious. Last uh, week, when it was a really nice day out, I took my two youngest to the park, and Malachi rode his bike. He's my four-year-old again, and he's got training wheels on this bike, you know, and he's creating a new bike. He thinks it's great. And so he rode to the park, uh, and Olivia and I walked, and, and we got there, and Olivia's playing on the playset, and Malachi's riding his bike around the playset, and he pulls it right into the wood chips, you know, and he high centers the thing. So the training wheels are actually lifting the back tire off the ground. And he is over there and it just cracked me up. I took a video of it. I should have showed it to you. But uh, he was just pedaling his might out and he wasn't going anywhere. Like he's just stuck. That wheel's just spinning, spinning, spinning. And I look over there and he just kept going. And he was pedaling, pedaling, pedaling hard. And I look over and I said, Malachi, you okay there? You, you, you doing all right? And he's like, oh, Dad, I'm doing great. This is awesome. He was so happy going nowhere. And I thought sometimes as leaders, we need to be like Malachi. We get it. It, We're stuck. But as leaders, we're doing what God has called us to do. And we have to find joy in it. It's one of the reasons where I try to uh, bring joy into this place. I want this place on Sunday morning to be a place of joy. If that means I have to share with you one of my many, many stupid things I've done so that you can laugh at me and bring joy into this room, I am so happy to highlight my own stupidity because I know at some level, most of the time, you all can relate to it and we can laugh together and we can bring joy because we are the church, God's people. And I'm called to be joyous in shepherding. We lead from joy. Um, In the famous movie that's ancient now, Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little, the the runner, um, uh, he says this famous quote, which I love. He says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Leaders are like that in the church. God appointed me to lead, and when I lead, I feel his pleasure. 
leading like a shepherd isn't about being happy all the time. It's just this deep abiding joy that we know what, what we're doing, what God's called us to. Shepherds lead from joy. The second thing that Peter is going to tell us now, the first thing was lead, shepherds lead from joy. The second thing is shepherds lead with enthusiasm. Verse two, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So first he said, not because you must, but because you're willing. Now he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. In the ancient church culture, there were times where the leaders of each local church had to hold funds in their hands. The leaders would oftentimes collect the funds that the church collected for the poor. Remember, we were in a, in a time before any kind of any kind of government care for people and Christians were oftentimes ostracized from culture and had nothing. And so other Christians would give money to their fellow believers. And oftentimes an elder at a local church would hold the money and distribute it to all the poor of the church. And you can imagine the temptation for a leader as he's holding all this money to just skim a little off the top for himself, for his family, for whatnot. And Peter is reminding you, he says, don't do that. You know, in, in, uh, um, in America, the IRS has said it's illegal to take, for a leader, for anybody, to take money out of the offering for any reason. Uh, it's, it's illegal to just take it out. The money is supposed to get deposited and accounted for. There's supposed to be checks and balances in this system. And so our leadership has put in a fantastic system where those who count the offering, there's two people counting it. It's, uh, it, there's a check and balance system, there's reporting and accountability so that nowhere along the, the line can the funds be mishandled by one person. And it's the same thing. Our leaders have recognized, one, I don't want to lead from the wrong motives for money. Two, I don't want to get caught doing something wrong. And it's a protection of their heart uh, and their character. And so we see this. There's a temptation in any leadership role to do it for the wrong reasons. And not just monetary reasons. You could do it for, for financial gain. Now, it's not wrong in the church for leaders to get paid. Paul clearly says this, that the, those who are doing, doing the work of the church should get paid, he says. But it shouldn't be the guiding reason. But we also get tempted as leaders to, to lead for prestige, pride, arrogance, caring what others think, or sometimes leaders lead uh, at a pressure from others to lead a certain way. And those are all wrong motives. What's the opposite of dishonest gain, he says? It's eagerness to serve. This word has to do with enthusiasm. This eagerness to serve, it's not uncontrolled emotion. Rather, it's enthusiasm, enthusiasm driven by conscientious knowledge. That's what enthusiasm is. Have you ever met somebody who, who's a hobby person? Like we all know these people in their lives. They're always doing a new hobby, you know, whether it's knitting or model airplanes or whatever. I had a friend like this growing up. I'm telling you, his dad, every two weeks had a new hobby. It was hilarious. I'd go in their basement and there was the old hobby sitting there unfinished and a new hobby had begun. Right? And, and who, his dad was always like completely excited about the new hobby. You know, he was all in, and we all thought, okay, well, that's going to last for two weeks. I wonder what the next thing he's going to be all in on is. That, that's enthusiasm out of control. Uh, what what uh, Peter is telling us here is that a biblical leader isn't impulsive, 
because they're committed to stay the course in leadership. He or she is thoughtfully committed to leadership. And there's a respectful enthusiasm to this. Others see it and respect it. And they can tell that you're genuine, not just a flash in the pan. You're consistently, enthusiastically pursuing the call that God has placed on your life. Lead from joy, lead from enthusiasm. And the next one is lead by example, Peter says. So we, we lead because we're willing. We lead because we're enthusiastic. And lastly, he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The temptation that we have when given authority, any single one of us, is to lord it over people. It's the temptation is to allow authority to go to our heads. Have you ever met somebody who enjoys leadership just a little too much? Like the mall cop, right? Like the security guard at the mall. Like most of them are awesome, but every once in a while you'll run into one who's like, oh yeah, I got a badge. Like I'll tell you what to do, right? Or, or maybe it's a, you know, an assistant manager at, the, at, you know, a retail shop somewhere who's like, I got this part-time assistant manager gig and I'm all that now. And I will get all these employees in the line because I am the assistant manager. Or maybe like it's someone who along the line, like maybe the, the president of your homeowners association. Like I, I, I known a president who walked around the neighborhood in January writing fines to everyone in the HOA who still had Christmas lights up because the covenant says you got to have them down by January 15th. Like, and you just wrote tickets to everyone. And you're like, come on. Uh, my friend Quentin Steve over at Valley Church, we're doing this series together, and he says this, uh, title is the weakest form of authority. Right? Isn't that true? I, I thought that was good. Jesus says, listen, if you're given a title, you should be a servant to everyone. He says it like this, if anyone wants to be great, he must be a servant of all. Jesus just always is flipping this stuff upside down, blowing our minds. We lead by example. And when we do this, people instinctively follow because they connect, they connect with us when our words as leaders connect with our actions. I am now on my fourth child that I am teaching to drive. Number four, right? You would think I'd be good at this now. Uh, I don't, still don't think I'm good. And here's one of the reasons that I don't know if I'm a good teacher. It's the single greatest obstacle toward my effectiveness in, as a driving instructor is that my children observe my driving. <laughs> like, it is the single greatest obstacle. It's horrible. Like, I'll be driving, and they're like, hey, Dad, uh, you don't have both hands on the wheel there, right? Or, or the, the, the one where they lean over and they look at the speedometer. Hey, Dad, how, how fast are you going there? Uh, Dad, did you signal before you changed lanes just then? Like, oh, it drives me crazy. My single greatest obstacle is I want to teach him a way to drive that I don't necessarily drive, right? And guess what? My kids are going to grow up to drive like me. No matter what I say, they're following our example. This is the thing about sheep. They don't always do what you tell them to do as a leader. When you're leading, the people following you don't just, oh, well, Dave said it, so... 
you know, I'm going to fall in line. Like as a pastor, right? I could talk to you guys all day long about certain aspects of your life, and you go, okay, Dave, keep talking. I don't know that I'm going to do that, but keep talking. We can talk all day long, and sheep don't necessarily follow, but they will follow your example. It doesn't mean we don't teach, and it doesn't mean that as leaders we have to do everything perfectly. It simply means that we strive to actively live out our most important principles. We lead by example. So a shepherd leads with joy, with enthusiasm, by example. And then the last thing that we learn here in 1 Peter is that a shepherd remembers the chief shepherd. A shepherd remembers the chief shepherd. That's what Peter says. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Once again, we, we see this concept of shame versus honor here. I talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, it's really important to understanding biblical culture that we understand that, that people in the ancient Near East didn't run on the same system that we run on. We run on a guilt-innocence system. Either someone's guilty or they're innocent. Our legal system works that way. And around, we sort of understand and respect people by guilt or innocence. In the, in the Bible, it was all honor and shame. Either you're seen and viewed as an honorable person and others are placing honor upon you or they're placing shame upon you. And the beauty of the gospel is that when Jesus spread out his arms and willingly gave his life, when his blood covered over our sin, yes, he took our guilt, but he also took our shame. That's what the Bible tells us. He takes our shame and he places the honor due him upon us. It's this great substitution. And in a culture like these first century Christians experienced, to lead for Christ, the world around them saw it as shameful. What are you doing, the culture said? You're wasting your life. What are you doing? This whole Jesus thing is, I mean, that guy was crazy. And, you know, like, what are you doing? It's so shameful. And what Peter does again is he says, when you're a leader, keep one eye on the fact that your reward and honor is coming. The chief shepherd appears. He's coming back. Jesus is. And when that happens, you'll get a crown of honor that will never fade away. This crown of glory is not necessarily a physical crown. It's not that like Jesus is going to come and put a physical crown on your head. I, I mean, it could be, but I think most likely here, this is a metaphor. A metaphor for the honor that your heavenly father through Jesus is going to bestow on you. Because the shepherd says, well done, good and faithful servant. Huh. I got nothing. I'm... <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> okay. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm just going to come back here because I was going to say something great. I know I was, and I'll just get back to it. Um, the, the idea here is that we see an honor when the chief shepherd appears. This chief shepherd, he bestows honor on us. Certain ones of us love, love verbal affirmation. Like, I, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I like it. I love it when people affirm me. 
They say, well done, Dave. Good job. Some of you are like that. You get that. You're like, I, I love it when people see something I've done and they say, man, that was great. Good job. Every time a human being created in the image of God, every time that you crave verbal affirmation or some, of something, it's, it's almost always a reflection that at your heart of heart, you're not craving the verbal affirmation of a person, but of your Savior, of God Almighty. You were wired to hear from God, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were wired to crave that. So when the chief shepherd appears, when we lead and shepherd well, we know that he will say, well done, and give us this crown of honor. So we lead with joy, we lead with enthusiasm, we lead by example, and we remember the chief shepherd. Leadership is a high calling. It's this big responsibility. It's a bit upside down from the world around us thinks, but it's honorable. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says this, Paul, if anyone sets his sights on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. If you want to lead by, like a shepherd, if you feel that you're calling, God's calling you to lead like a shepherd, it's a noble thing. Well, what should you do about it? The key is, is connecting the great commandment with your shepherding. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love God, and then we love the people that God has created. And when we lead as a shepherd with that in mind, that we love our chief shepherd, and therefore we love the people that he has created, if we do that caring work, we lead well. And we began our time talking about all the books that we have read on leadership or have on leadership and the stacks of libraries. If we would compile all our books in this room, probably of uh, books that you've read on leadership, we would have a mighty high stack. And we come back to the simple idea. And I think one of the greatest problems in this world is that people so desire to be known as great leaders rather than being equipped to lead because of the task in front of them. It's too tempting for us just to want to be known as great leaders instead of saying, I need whatever leadership tools are there because the task in front of me is so important. N.T. Wright says this, the best leadership happens when leaders aren't asking, how can I be a good leader? But rather, when they're asking, what tools do I need to do the work that's before me? Leaders must care deeply about that work. The work of leadership in the church is the shepherding of the church. May we all, wherever we find ourselves in leadership, lead as caring shepherds. May our leaders at Waukee Community Church be ever watchful, seeking to accomplish the kingdom work while loving people deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we, we, Heavenly Father, we joyfully give our lives to you. We say that, God, we want this to be about you, and we want to lead well. God, may our leaders lead well. May we give ourselves to you, and, and may we follow well as well. God, wherever we find ourselves in our culture, may we lead well. May we lead as shepherds. May we continually lift up the name of Christ. 
loving God and loving people and leading accordingly. And so we give our lives to you. We give our lives faithfully and joyfully and ask that you would make us the kind of shepherds that you would want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.